uh, we're grateful for uh, heat at the church building. I'm not sure if you included that, uh, Curtis. I, I know your prayer was grateful for homes and grateful for food and getting up each morning, but heat in the church building, that's, uh, that's something. So, uh, uh, I want to let you know next week we're going to begin a, a, a new series that I've been kicking around in my head for a little while, and uh, we're going to look at some of the, the women of Scripture. Uh, over the next couple of months, and uh, the, I'm going to try and do something a little different to it, um, is trying to imagine what if two women from Scripture had a, sat down at a table together and had a conversation, what would they talk about? Um, and so obviously that depends which two women we, we put together. Uh, maybe you've got some ideas of two women that you would like to eavesdrop on, having a conversation. Our first one uh, next Sunday will be Eve and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, so we'll, we'll consider what sort of conversation they might have, but uh, perhaps that gets your uh, creative juices flowing as to who you would like to, to uh, overhear as they share their life stories and their reflections on uh, their relationship with, with Jesus. So uh, I'm hoping... It sounds really good in my head, <laughs> but I haven't got it on paper yet, so we'll see how this works out. Uh, today, though, today, we're, uh, I want to do like a, uh, a follow-up on last week as we introduced our theme of walking by faith, and um, to do that, I just want to start off by saying I know that some of you have had a stress test at some point in your life. Now, I don't mean getting out of bed in the morning. Um, I, I mean uh, going to the doctor's clinic, getting on that treadmill or that exercise bike and you know, sort of getting that heart rate elevated while they monitor you. And as your heart works harder than it usually does, those medical experts can look at their readouts and tell you how unfit you are and uh, and how your heart is handling it. And, and when they do that, they can diagnose problems while you're stressed that they can't diagnose while you sit in a chair and tell them that everything's going to look really well. Um, it, it's the, and so the stress test sounds stressful. And, and it is, in a sense, but it's a vital step towards diagnosing and treating heart disease. And in many ways, the pandemic over the last two years has functioned as a stress test for our society. And, and some things have, have functioned well. Uh, some organizations have stood up and been active and been reliable and dependent, and others have failed the, the stress test. Anybody feel like they've been through a personal stress test from the pandemic over the last two years? Yeah? And there have been times that we've handled it well. We go, oh, this mask is great. It keeps me warm when I'm outside. Like, I love my mask. And other times you're like, oh, I can't wait to get this off. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's like, oh, I'm reading a good book. I like being alone. I like the peace and quiet. And other times, like, I just want to see someone. And, and so we've, we've had these moments of, of how we've responded to this stress test. 
churches have also experienced a stress test. And um, Lawson Road is certainly no exception uh, of this. If you've spent any time joining Lawson Road for worship online, then uh, your relationship with the church has changed, hasn't it? Um, that, that it's different from the way it was. How has that experience impacted your relationship with the church? Um, having to wear a mask, not being able to hug and handshake and, and be close and have long conversations like we're accustomed to changes the way we feel about being at church, being with other people, being part of a worship service. And so how has that impacted our relationship with one another and our relationship then with God. It's been a stress test for us as a congregation. And, and I think that there have been, in any sort of test like this, there have been cracks and weaknesses that have been exposed of things that perhaps we thought we did well that we realized, hang on, we're not doing that as well as we expected. We thought we were ready for this stress test, that we would go in to go into our doctor's office as a, as a congregation and sit down or get on that treadmill, and, and we were going to be fine. And we get off, and the doctor says, I've got some, got some news for you. <laughs> You're not as healthy as you think you are. And so... I'd like you to, to think for a moment. Are you more connected or less connected to Lawson Road as a group than you were two years ago? Are you more connected or less connected than you were two years ago? And then I'd like you to think, what are, what are the things that you're considering in that. How are you making that decision? I'm less connected to the church because what? Or I'm more connected because what? What are the things that connect us, I guess, is really that question. But I don't want to spend today just talking about you and your connection to the congregation. I'd like for us to consider just uh, thinking as a church, what is our health? And, and I know that the leadership here at Lawson Road would love to, to hear your impressions. What are some things that we're doing well over the last two years? And what are some ways that you feel that we're struggling? Or maybe there are some opportunities that we're overlooking. When we start talking about church health, one of the, the things that haunts me is the existence in the first church in Jerusalem of different groups. Almost immediately, there were differences. The differences led to disputes, and the disputes almost led to divisions. 
in the first years of the first church, with all the apostles there, with, with the words of Jesus still ringing in the ears of people that heard them straight from his mouth. Even then, differences led to disputes, led to divisions. And so while the book of Acts that we spent so much time in last week, it, it tells a story of the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? From Jerusalem to Rome and then beyond. Even as the gospel is being spread, there are Christians who are wanting to maintain their values and their perspectives, uh, their values and behaviors from the perspective of Judaism. In fact, the first division described in Acts, or, or dispute described in Acts chapter 6. There in Acts chapter 6, we have two groups of women. They are identifiable. These widows, they both groups need care. Both groups need food. And there are those that are culturally and by language uh, Hebrew. And there are those that are culturally and by language Greek. And, and it's the Hebrew women, Hebrew widows, who are getting the food first. And the Greek widows are left with the scraps or with nothing. And then over in Acts chapter 15, there's another dispute. And this time it's, uh, let me look at that, Acts chapter 15 and verse 5. And Paul has to travel all the way from Antioch, which is up in Syria, down to um, Jerusalem to come and talk to the elders because there was a group of people uh, in 15 verse 1. says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So we find out a little bit more about this group when we go to verse 5. Paul has explained to the apostles and to the people in the church in Jerusalem why circumcision is not necessary, how the Gentiles are being added to the kingdom of God. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So, so this group of Christians are also Pharisees. And, and that's a little bit for, for us to get our heads around. Um, but Pharisees uh, sort of describes a way of understanding Scripture. It's a, it's a perspective on life. Um, it, it's a very down-to-earth, very um, dedicated to the law way of approaching God. It is, I believe, similar to our political parties. Right? Just as we can have Christians, I know I'm getting, some people are going to fall over, but you know, we can have Christians who are Republican and we can have Christians who are Democrat. There, I said it. <laughs> right? I, I mean, that's possible to exist. So you can have Christians who are Pharisees. And, and sometimes where we're coming from, not sometimes, all the time, whether we're aware of it or not, where we're coming from culturally impacts the way we read Scripture. And so for these Pharisees, as they come into the church, 
they read scripture in a particular way that says everybody becoming a follower of Jesus needs to be circumcised and needs to keep the law. And so they have this dispute. What's really interesting is that Paul says he is a self-acknowledged Pharisee. He says, regarding the law, I'm a Pharisee. So he's actually coming from the same place as them, but he has this vision, a new vision, for what the kingdom of God will look like. So as I look at these two incidents, the first one with the widows and the second one here with this, these Christian Pharisees, uh, is that they t reveal a tendency to revert to what is familiar. Okay. So the widows, right, you're distributing the food. It was probably a largely Hebrew church, the first church. And so they, I, I'm kind of filling in some gaps here, but there's a good chance they knew these Hebrew widows. They may have, those who were distributing the food may have grown up around them. They, they recognized them. They saw the needs. They understood their needs and where they were. The Greek widows may well have lived in a different part of town. They, they went to different places socially. They spoke different languages. They may or may not have well understood what the needs were. And so it's interesting there that when the apostles appoint the, the people, new people, to distribute the food, uh, they all have Greek-sounding names. Okay? Because they're going to understand the needs and the, the culture and the situation for them. Um, but before that, without being intentional, they reverted to what they knew. They went to the places they knew, to the people they knew. And I think that's something that's easy for us to do. Similarly with the Pharisees, the Christian Pharisees, right? They're saying, this is what we know about the law. And Christianity is based on the law. And, 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 and so they seem to have had a law plus Jesus kind of understanding of it. And, and, and so they were insisting on what was familiar to them. And the question that we're never really told the answer to is did Paul and the apostles, what sort of headway did they make in convincing these people that no, Jesus radically changed how the kingdom of God looks, radically changed who is able to come into the kingdom and what is required of them for entrance. But without those people pushing for this radical change, there was this tendency to revert to what is familiar. I think we face similar tendencies today. And throughout the, the last two years, I've often heard and sometimes I've prayed myself that, that we could just get back to normal. Right? You want to get back to normal. And I'm here to tell you that boat has sailed. Okay? I don't think it's a great prayer. Maybe it was, you know, in, as we started shutdown in March. Maybe in April it was a great prayer. But I think two years later, that ship has sailed. And, and it seems because now what it says is that two years ago, how we were as a church, that was pretty good. Right? And, and in many ways it was. We could sing. We could hug. We could... Didn't have masks, there was a lot of, we could eat together, lots of things we could do that we might say would be a big improvement on what we have now. But you know what, two years ago, as a congregation, we 
needed to grow. We needed to expand. We needed to, to do a whole bunch of things. We were not perfect. There were people on the fringes that didn't feel like they belonged, that we needed to embrace. Okay? There, there were um, opportunities that we overlooked. And I, sa I can say that with confidence, not because I know those specific things, but that's just the way churches are. No church is perfect. And so we don't want to go back to being the imperfect church that we used to be. We want to go forward being the church that God wants us to be in the future. And, and so I, this is my personal commitment. I'm not going to hold everyone to this standard. But, but my prayer has changed. Not that we go back to being normal, but that we move forward to being who God is preparing us to be. You see, I think the pandemic has exposed some of our weaknesses. And so as we look backward, we want to say, we want to improve on that. We want to be better than we used to be. And perhaps this is the opportunity, the stress test, to get our attention in those areas. And so while a stress test for your heart attempts to expose weaknesses, it shouldn't destroy anything. Nobody expects to go to the doctor's office for a stress test and then maybe or maybe not wake up in a hospital. You may get out of breath. You may have some mild um, impacts from it, symptoms from it. You might ache a bit when you're finished. But there's an assumption that your body is generally sound and the test won't cause additional damage to it, even if it reveals those weaknesses. And in a similar way, the pandemic may have made us unsure about a lot of things. I think the pandemic has made a lot of people reconsider a lot of things, ask questions, and, and, and be open to ideas that they never had before. But well, one thing we can be absolutely certain of. While there may be cracks in our faith, there are no cracks in our foundation. Because Jesus himself is our foundation. Our foundation hasn't changed. Even as what's built on the foundation may have been stressed. We read in Luke chapter 6, there it's a, a, perhaps you're more familiar with the account from the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Uh, but here is Luke's version of the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And uh, it's, a, it's got some slightly different details in it. But it describes here a person who incorporates the teachings of Jesus into their life. And this person can withstand the storms well, really, it's the floods, the torrents, the NIV says, can withstand the floods that come because they've taken the time to dig down through the dirt to get to the rock and to build a foundation for the house. Paul expands this uh, imagery in 1 Corinthians 3. And I'll just read this for you in verses 10 and 11. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus. And that can't be damaged by anything that life throws our way. But that doesn't, sometimes I think we can then face this uh, temptation to say, okay, if Jesus is our foundation, and, and if the foundation is strong, then what we need to do is all focus on the foundation. We need to look at the foundation. We need to admire the foundation. We need to celebrate the foundation. And we do all of these things. But the foundation won't keep you dry when it rains. And the foundation won't keep you warm when it's cold outside. The foundation is where things begin. It's what holds things together. But it's not the end. It's not the goal to have a good foundation. The goal of the process is to have a good building. And so, um, both Jesus and Paul in their images that they use, they're telling people to build on the foundation. Right? He says, the foundation's laid. I've taken care of that. You've got a solid foundation. Right? Dig down into the rock. And then build your life on it. Build your church on it. Don't build it on a different foundation. You do that and you're in trouble. But if you build it on this. And so we need to be, be careful that we, we don't turn into spectators of the foundation. When we're called to be builders. And so I see this as a, a great metaphor for Lawson Road as we look into the future. What's our future look like? And I told you last week, I don't have details for you. I can't predict the next 12 months. But we're not just reopening. We're not just restoring or renovating. In many ways, we're rebuilding. We're saying, what is the, what is the future going to look like? We know what we're building on. But one of the reasons we're rebuilding is that we're going to be a different church whenever it is that we come out of this. I mean, our name will be the same out the front, but we've had people come, we've had people go. And every time that happens, we have a different church because now we have different gifts, we have different talents, we have different resources, we have different opportunities. When a person lo leaves, we lose connections into a community. When a person comes, we gain connections into a different community. And so where we uh, focus our efforts may depend on some of that coming and going. And so we will come out of this and we'll rebuild who we are as a, as a church, but always building on the solid foundation of Jesus. So uh, we saw some of those devastating tornadoes uh, earlier this year, uh, well, end of last year. That went through uh, the Midwest and Kentucky. And, and I picture it like a tornado that knocked things over, right? And there's going to be a lot of houses, a lot of churches, church buildings, that are going to just be demolished, but then rebuilt on the foundation that is left there. 
when you look at that concrete slab, there's a lot you don't know about the building. Right? You can look at the foundation and you get a sense for whether it's a good one or a bad one. You get a sense for the shape of what's going to be built. But you can't look at a foundation, maybe if you're a very skilled engineer or something, but most of us can't look at a foundation and say, how tall is that building going to be? Okay. Um, what color is that building going to be? What's it going to be made of? Is the frame going to be wood or is it going to be metal? It, what kind of roof is it going to have? Um, how many rooms are going to be in that house? What are the furnishings going to look like? How many people will live there? And, and so we can all start with the same foundation and come up with something that looks very different because it's our responsibility. God has given us the responsibility to build on the foundation. And we will build something that is faithful to Jesus, that follows him, but that doesn't necessarily look like um, other churches in different places. And I say all of this because it's vital that we prepare for a rebuilding phase for us as a congregation. We can't just wait for everything to return to normal. And we can't just expect to recreate what we used to have. It would be tempting to go back to 2020, right? Uh, pull out the Vision Sunday agenda and just slap it up there in 2023. Right? And this is what we were going to do in 2020, but it got sidelined. And so we're just going to roll it forward three years. Rather, we have to be prepared for the opportunities that come our way in 2022 and in 2023. So what is it exactly we need to do? I think we begin personally. It's always hard to talk about what we need to do as a church because the church is a collection of individuals. Right? And so what we need to do as a church uh, can only be done to the extent that as individually are equipped and motivated to participate in. And, and so there's this sort of awkward conversation of saying, here's, let's go church. And some, of, some people go, ah, that really doesn't you know, float my boat. <laughs> like, go on, knock yourselves out, have a good time with that. And, and there's sometimes they're like, hey, I was here on Sunday. I'm not coming back on whenever. Yeah, but, but some of you are... Uh, uh, Jesus, heroes, you go for it on whatever other day of the week it is. So for us to accomplish things as a church, we can only do that to the extent that individually we're committed to the vision before us. And so I want to uh, suggest that our rebuilding project will require us to make sure that we're disciples of Jesus and not just members of the church. Now, I know it sounds like the same thing. And, and if you want to get into definitions, you know, if you go to a dictionary, it says disciple of Jesus equals Christian equals member of a church. Right? And I'm fine with that. I understand linguistically that makes sense. But I think that each of those terms has a different emphasis. I think it's important to be a member of a church to commit to a community of faith, 
to saying, yes, I'm on board, that, that my membership says that I'm supporting one another, I'm part of a family, and that I'm looking to the leaders of this church to lead me closer to God. And, and, and that sort of placing membership is something that makes that formal, that, that expresses that publicly, that desire and that commitment. So I, I believe that that's important. But there's a huge difference between being a disciple and being a member. A member is a passive term, okay? Um, you can be a member of the AARP, and you don't have to do anything, right? Just, just send them in a check. In fact, you don't, and you will get on their list as a member. It's a small check at the beginning of the year. You send it in, and, and you are a member. And you cannot get off their list, right? <clears throat> Like, like they might say, you need to send money to be a member, but they're going to keep you on the list. <clears throat> and, and you are part of them. And you don't have to do anything for them. Right? And they will go and they will trumpet from the hilltops that they have thousands of members. Right? And they represent thousands of people. And you're like, I just wanted that gift they sent for $15 in a, the very beginning. Right? And... and and, and you are a member. And, and so a member doesn't require you to do anything. Minimal investment. And you become a member. In contrast, a disciple is an active term. Okay? Now, I don't know if everyone will relate to this, but uh, perhaps you know someone like this. A disciple is someone who commits themselves to learning and following. If you're a disciple of Google, for instance, all right, you make sure that you buy an Android phone, not one of those evil iPhones. Okay? If you're a disciple of Google, you make sure your email address is Gmail, not Outlook or Hotmail or AOL or whatever else. If you're a disciple of Google, you have Google Home and Google Home appliances. And you don't have that nasty Alexa you know, that you speak to and, and it tells you stuff. No, you've got Google. And you, you rely on Google for your information. You wear a Google watch. You have Google buds for your ears. You make sure you don't have a Google phone and an Apple watch. Right? Because you're committed. You're a disciple of Google. And so Google integrates into all aspects of your life. And likewise, as a disciple of Jesus, there's nothing I do, nowhere I go, nothing that I am or will ever become that is not affected by my decision to follow Jesus Christ. So look again at Luke chapter 6, if you still have it there in your Bible. In verse 46, Jesus says to a person, to a group of people, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I think he's saying, you guys are great church members. You're on the list. You fill in the blank on the census that says, Church of Christ. He says, well, why don't you do what I say? Huh? And, and then he comes down and he says, 
he describes a disciple. He says, as for everyone who comes to me, hears my words, learns, and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. You see, the call to be a Christian should be a call to be a disciple. But we've created these separate classes where Christian is just anyone who's not an atheist or a Muslim or a Buddhist. Right? It's a very broad term. People who've never been to church in their life will say they're a Christian right? because they're not those other things. What else is there? I think these days there's a lot of people that say, I'm a nun, I'm a nothing when it comes to faith. But certainly in the past, Christian was just described more who we were not rather than who we were in many instances. Um, and then a member is somebody that, that is, has their name on a list at a local congregation, which is good. Which is good. They've been baptized. They've, they've shown up occasionally. Most, most likely there's people at the church who know who they are. And then there are disciples. Those who are committed to, to learning, to hearing what Jesus has to say to them and doing it and incorporating it into their lives. And so our goal as a church is not to make baptisms, but to make disciples. That process certainly has baptism as a big part of it, right? You have to begin somewhere. You have to make that commitment. You have to join yourself to Christ. You need your sins forgiven. You need that relationship that's dependent upon God. But too often, we've, we've skipped what comes next. We've celebrated the baptism and not committed to the hard work of making disciples. And so, I want you to imagine for a moment what the church would be like if we were all committed to being disciples rather than members of God's body. Because when we're a disciple, when the worst happens that life can throw at us, when a pandemic arrives on our doorstep unexpectedly, we're not thrown off course. We know what our foundation is. We know not only where our foundation is, we're, we know who we're following. We don't necessarily know where we're heading you know, or, the, or the route. We may know the destination, but we don't know the route that we're taking, but we know who we're following. Because no matter what, we're following Jesus. He's still in control. He's still our foundation. And we know that. We're confident in that. We know that we can trust him to see us through. That's walking by faith. That's walking by faith. Is that when the storms come that we, we stick to our commitment. That we're following Jesus. We're building on Jesus. And so the more disciples this church has, the less people it has who are just members, the stronger the future of the church is and the greater the blessing that we can pass on to those around us. And so, 2022 20, is one month down already. A tenth, 10%, 55 Sundays, 10% of the year gone. Are we following Jesus? Are we disciples? Are we walking by faith? Because we can make the decision now 
to make a transition from membership to discipleship. We can make a decision to, to encourage others, to disciple other people, uh, to invest in those around us. And it'll make for a better 2022 than if we are content with our membership at Lawson Road Church of Christ.